And this has our contact information. Uh, you can find us on Facebook if you're on Facebook and follow us there. We put a lot of ministry updates on Facebook. People were praying for us. We were coming across 90 on Friday. We appreciate that. We got a couple of Facebook updates on that. But pray for us. We would appreciate that. If you have a regular prayer time where you pray through your missionaries, we would appreciate you including us. Uh, this is a fairly recent picture, though. We need to update it now. And, uh, yeah, please grab that. Also, I have a couple books that I've enjoyed reading. I have a pile of used books uh, on the left side as you approach the table, but obviously you'll see these aren't used. Uh, These are both on prayer. This is the prayer life of Jesus, learning to pray like the master, and this is Prayer Secrets. It's an older one by Guy King. Harold Vaughn's a friend of mine, and he lives a passionate prayer life. He's a great minister, and I count him a mentor, in fact. Uh, Guy King, from what I can tell, is an old Keswick writer, and I think he was back maybe even 100 years ago or so. I haven't found a lot on him, but great book, simple book. Sometimes you read books on prayer and they just beat you up. I know there's good authors that you know, they have some good stuff, but they just beat you up. Well, these don't do that. These are incredibly helpful books and they've been a blessing to me. And uh, I, if you're anything like me, you know you could in- use encouragement in prayer, right? The promises, the, uh, the fact that God invites us, he makes the first move. He says, come unto me, call unto me. It's really an encouragement. These books are designed to show us biblically how you and I can pray. And I'm convinced that God's people don't pray like we could or even should. Uh, and he, yeah, we should. We, men ought to always pray. Yeah, but we can pray, and we don't even take advantage of what we can do. And I don't know why sometimes. Perhaps it's just unbelief. Perhaps it's a fear of who God is. Perhaps it's a misconception. I don't know. But God's word says we can pray, and we should. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 12. We're getting to the practical part and dealing with what these individuals have gone through. They've endured challenges, they've endured difficulty, and they're wondering why we're enduring chastening. And verse 11 is always an interesting verse to me if you start there. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. And I always want to look at that and say, no kidding. It's not fun, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. It was sung this morning, and if you weren't in church this morning, perhaps some of you were out working in another class or something. We need the church. I need the church. And what, here's it practically. We're supposed to look around for those hands who are hanging down. You've got to get the picture here. It's people who are just like, I can't. The knees are getting weak, and they're saying, oh, it's been hard. And if you look and study this in the historical context, and I said it in Sunday school, this is the same group of people that James was written to, that First Peter was written to, to the Jewish Christians in the first century. They're struggling. Many of them have gotten displaced. They came to faith in Christ, and their life didn't get better, as the TV evangelist promised it would. In fact, it got miserable. They lost their jobs. They lost their families. They lost their houses. Things which in our Western world is kind of hard to even imagine. But in the Eastern culture, that still happens today. When a Muslim comes to faith in Christ, their life gets miserable. Even in parts of Africa that are more animistic, when they come to faith in Christ, oftentimes they can encounter incredible persecution. So when someone comes to faith in Christ and is baptized publicly before the village, it's a big deal. And these people have done that. And now some of them are wondering... Is it worth it? And they're looking at the challenges, the issues, and they've they've had some difficulties, some problems, and their hands are hanging low, and their knees are weak. 
And you and I as the church are called to go around and help and encourage and even point them to Jesus Christ. That's what the author is talking about in this chapter. He gets very practical and he says in verse number uh, 13, Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And we know that we have to be holy to see the Lord. Does that mean we ourselves are holy? No, we have God's holiness applied to our account. And yes, we mimic that. We mirror that to the best of our ability. Look at our text here. These perhaps are familiar. This is one of the passages that I go to on a consistent basis personally. Look what it says in the beginning in verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. If you're keeping notes tonight, we're going to have three points. And they all begin with the little word lest. L-E-S-T. That's the outline. Straight from the text. Three lests. We're going to see what God says to each and every one of us tonight. Before I pray, I'm going to make a couple statements. I'm going to back it up. Every single one of us needs the truth tonight. I'm going to go a step further. Every single one of us struggles with this truth. Wait a minute, Brent. Hold on. Hold on. You don't know me. You just, I've seen you before at church, but you don't really know me. And you're making the declaration that I struggle. That's kind of a little bit of a, (laughs) maybe a little bit out there, Brent. Maybe you're stepping on a little bit thin ice. No pun intended for those outside. No, we're going to see it. Every single one of us need this truth. I'm going to ask you to pay attention to the word of God, to listen carefully and be honest and ask God to show you from his word. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We need your strength. We need your truth. We need your love. And we pray that you would help us to understand your word, to know your truth, to know your love. But Lord, I pray that you'd show us where we have failed in this area. Would you show us the grace that is possible? And would we see in our own lives where we have failed your grace, where we have slipped into sin and we have reaped the, the consequences. Help us to be honest. Help us to be open. Strengthen me. Encourage these listeners. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look what it says there, beginning in verse 15 again. The author here says, looking diligently. Have you ever been to a revival service or a special meeting or a church service or whatever, camp meeting back when you were youth at a youth Bible camp? And you heard a message. You heard a truth. You, perhaps even the truth was sung. And you made a decision. Maybe you came forward, maybe you didn't come forward, but you made a decision, and that was a one-and-done type deal. You got it settled. I remember specific services in my life at a youth camp. I grew up going to a youth camp in Tennessee. And I remember specific services in there where God used his word in my heart and my life to really challenge, convict, change me from the inside out. And I haven't struggled with those issues since. Praise the Lord for that. Some of you can remember something like that, right? This is not one of those issues, this is not one of the things that you get a check mark. Well, the preacher spoke at this in a revival meeting, and check, I got that settled for the rest of my life. No. For as long as you and I are living, this is something that we are going to need. That's why the author says, looking diligently. Looking diligently. 
Not a one time, oh, yep, check, got that done. No, this is an inward and outward look to see, look what it says there, what we're doing with grace. Point number one, lest any man fail the grace of God. Now look down your Bible, and I want you to see what this Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say, lest the grace of God fail any man. Is that what your Bible says? Because does grace fail? Now, this is important. We've got to get this. And this is where the, the whole argument starts. Some of you have been through some challenges, some hurts, some difficulties. And you have seen how God's grace has been sufficient, haven't you? Have you ever looked at somebody else going through a difficulty, another family member, or perhaps another family in a church, or just an even acquaintance, and you thought to yourself, or you even said to yourself, I could never go through something like that. Have you ever done that? I've thought that. I've said that. Yeah. Well, you couldn't because God hasn't given you the grace to. God's grace is sufficient. And again, going back to Sunday school, for those of you who are in here this morning, it doesn't matter what you're facing. God's using it. God's using the difficulties in your life and my life to change us. He's using it. Grace doesn't fail. Who fails? We do. Right here. Keep your finger here in Hebrews 12. And look with me back at 2 Corinthians 12. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul was being very open, very honest, and uh, very forthright. And he talks about how he had this issue. And he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 6, excuse me, verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. So we've heard, perhaps you've heard that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We're not told exactly what this is. I tend to think it had something to do with his eyes. Because if you think about his life and ministry, he had gotten beaten, he had gotten shipwrecked, he had gotten all these things. Uh, There's a pastor I know who had a kind of like an addictions program like you have here. And he had a lot of those people in the church. And he was preaching on the life of the Apostle Paul. He's talking about how about Paul got stoned, Paul got shipwrecked. And he asked the church, have any of you ever been stoned? And one of the ladies in the church, yeah, pastor, many times. Not that type of stoned. A different type of stoned. Getting rocks thrown at you. Don't you love new Christians? They're just, they just say it. They just, you know, they just live it. I appreciate that. But Paul had actually literally been stoned and not in the drug sense. He had, been, he had gone through issues and no doubt that had left marks. He talks about how his bodily presence was kind of contemptible. He, he wrote some of his books, and you see how large of a letter I, I signed for you. I wrote it personally. Perhaps he had this eyesight issue, and even some Bible scholars, you know, some of this is conjecture. They say he, perhaps he had this running issue. One of his eyeballs could have been punctured from a stone. We don't know for sure. But whatever it was, Paul thought, hey, I could live better if I didn't have this. And the Bible tells us, and he tells us here, this, this messenger of Satan to tempt him, to buffet him, he besought the Lord three times that it might depart. God, would you heal me? God, would you take this away? On three separate occasions, God, take this away. And notice what it says there in verse 9. And he said, that's God said unto him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, I've learned that grace is sufficient. God's grace doesn't fail. We do. Do you know Romans 8, 28? And we know that some things work together for good to them that love God. 
I'm trying to keep you awake. It's Sunday night, 6 o'clock. We've come out of the cold and we're sitting in the warm building, so it's, it's easy to fall asleep. Yeah, we know that what? Now, time out. All? Come on, Brent. Divorce? Cancer? Failure? Sin? Abuse? Physical infirmities? Yeah. All. And I don't understand how it all works, but I do know this, that God is big enough to use all things. You know the story of Joseph? We talked about his dad this morning. And one of the interesting things about the story that we didn't even get to is the fact that at the same time that Jacob was coming back to Bethel, there was a four, five, or six-year-old young boy who was noticing that dad has, was having a renewed interaction with this Jehovah person, Joseph. What a profoundly different upbringing, what a profoundly different spirit young Joseph had. Yeah, he wasn't very wise to tell his brothers what he had dreamed, especially knowing his brother's temperament like I'm sure he did. But here's a man who went through difficulty, who was lied about, who was almost killed, which perhaps and sometimes he thought would have been better. He was lied about. He was thrown in jail. He was forgotten. He, everything in his life was negative. He lost two decades plus with his time with his father. There's nothing positive. His father that loved him, and he loved dearly. You remember what happens after dad dies? Decades have passed, and Jacob's brother, excuse me, Joseph's brothers come in to him. And in Genesis 50, you can kind of see it. It's kind of reading between the lines there. You see that, hey, Joe, um, you remember how that when dad was alive, you, he told you to be nice to us, and now that he's gone, you're not going to come back and try to get us, because after all, you did, you did lose like 20 years of your life because of us. But you're okay, right? And I love Joseph's response. I know I'm paraphrasing. I love Joseph's response. You thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about this this day to save much people alive. That's a proper view of God's grace. It doesn't matter what you have faced. And I can, we could take the mic and go around the room tonight, and every single one of us have faced issues. We've faced problems. We've faced difficulties. There's been perhaps unimaginable hurt that has been residing in your life below the surface. You said goodbye to people that you didn't plan to say goodbye to, and you wish you've had to say goodbye to people that are still in your life in times, if you know what I mean. You've dealt with infirmities. You've dealt with issues. You've dealt with problems. You've dealt with people, of all things. Yet God's grace is sufficient in every aspect, in every problem, in every issue that you're facing, have faced, or will face, God's grace is sufficient. And here's what happens. Here's what we've got to get to. Doesn't matter what you're facing. Doesn't matter what you have or will face again. God's grace is sufficient. But what do we often do? Let's be honest. Can we be honest tonight on a Sunday night? Is it okay to be honest? Okay. What do we do? Nothing good's going to come of this. And we can do that so quickly. So, so quickly. Little things happen in our heart and our life, and we just, man, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Little things happen, and we get so perturbed, so upset, so mad, we fail the grace of God. Friends, what we have to do on a consistent basis is look and ask ourselves, what are we doing with grace? We have to ask ourselves what we are doing with grace. Are we failing the grace of God? Now, look what it says here in chapter 12, verse number 15. Number one, looking diligently lest any man fail the grace of God. 
And friend, we've got to do this by faith. We've got to apply grace by faith because at the time sight doesn't work, we have to say to ourselves something like this, God, I don't understand why you've let this problem or tragedy or difficulty happen, but by faith, I believe that you can use this present difficulty in my life to bring about good for me and glory to yourself. We have to do it by faith because at the time sight doesn't work. You and I have to do it by faith because sight doesn't work. What are some of the issues that we're talking about? Could be health problems, could be abuse, could be employers or employees, could be physical infirmities, family feuds, friends who've lied about you, marital hurts, family members or past family members who you feel did you wrong, ministry problems. It could be wanting to change something that's unchangeable, a part of life. It could be a situation that happened decades ago. I could say the name of somebody tonight And instantly you would go, you've won the argument so many times in the shower, it's not even funny. You've been the judge, justice, and jury, and you are upset. And if that name, that situation, that former ministry, that former church, that whatever, that former uh, family member was mentioned, instantly you would start listing out the ways and reasons you're right and they're wrong. Friends, that's failing the grace of God. And I'm not saying we should forget because sometimes we can't forget. But we fail grace often. And God says to us, don't fail grace. He says, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. Secondly, look at your Bibles there in verse 15. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know what can happen? It just doesn't stop with failing grace. Bitterness is such a strong word, isn't it? We don't like to consider ourselves bitter. Because bitterness is such a strong word. But I would, I would say tonight, and again, I'm not pointing to any one individual, but I would say there's bitter people in the room tonight. Bitterness. What is bitterness? Notice how it's described here. It springs up. That's what it says first. And it's described as a root. Have any of you ever tripped on a root? Yeah. Probably all of us have at some point in our life, right? Why do you think the author of Hebrews uses this terminology? To get our attention to help us see that this is common. So often we like to think about bitter people. We think about bitter people in the out there. We think about bitter people that we interact with. And, you know, the people we meet in the store, they're just nasty. I mean, nasty. They're bitter. When I was a teenager, excuse me, we would go out on Sunday afternoons. My youth group would go out to either door-to-door soul winning or to a uh, nursing home. And we had, we was a larger youth group. We'd go put on a service. That's where I cut my teeth preaching. Sunday afternoons at 3 o'clock, we'd go out, and I preached in a nursing home. And, you know, they, they were already asleep anyway, and so I just kept them asleep. But as a 17-year-old, that was a great, great experience to be able to cut my teeth preaching, and then you'd have all these ladies wheeling out in their wheelchairs. You did such a good job, Sonny. You were asleep, but thank you. Anyway. Well, this happened, I wasn't there when this happened. This actually happened before I was part of that. And one of my friends was there that day, and he was playing the piano in the day room. We had a kind of a middle day room. We'd go in, this is obviously way before COVID, way before all that stuff. We'd go in, we'd talk to the residents, and we'd wheel them into the central room, and we'd sing, we'd do some specials. And, and one of us would try to share something, and hopefully not preach too much heresy in the process. Well, one of these days, my friend was playing the piano, and he's just playing hymns, and, you know, a lot of the ladies and a lot of the men, the residents liked it, but there's this one lady who didn't. I mean, she got mad, 
And obviously, I'm sure she wasn't all in her right mind, but she comes up and says, stop it. And while he's playing, the piano starts hitting him. Stop it. Well, my youth pastor sees it and gently goes over and, oh, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, let's go and have a seat. Come over here, come over here. Gently by the shoulder, just kind of, you know, steer her away from hitting the pianist. You know, one of those nice things you do. Well, she didn't like that either. And so she looked at him, squared up at him and goes, and just let it loose. <laughs> Much to the surprise of my youth pastor and all the youth group. We were all kind of like, whoa, that's a bitter person. But I would again say tonight that there's bitter people here. You're functioning better perhaps than that, but you're bitter. There's poison within, and that's exactly what bitterness means. You're keeping things, you're hanging on to things, you're letting things fester within. And only the Holy Spirit can show us. And the author of Hebrews says, hey, looking diligent lest you fail the grace of God. And the way this thing goes, there's three different phrases, and they all begin with less, and each one is a downward progression. So in essence, if you have failed the grace of God, what's happened is that there's bitterness that sprung up in your soul. And that can happen so quickly. You know, you're, you're driving. There's not a lot of traffic here right now this time of year, but you're driving. And some tourist from Florida cuts you off. And they, they drive like idiots around here, where the, tour, the tourists do, that is. Yeah, I got a name in there. And then we go, what did we just do? We failed grace. According to this text, you failed the grace of God. What happens? Bitterness springs up. And sometimes it's just little things, but other times it's things that fester. You know, something doesn't go your way at work. Something doesn't go your way in the home. Something just gets said. And sometimes everyone laughs about it, but you remember it and you go, no, I'm not. What were they and you're stewing on it hours later. That's bitterness. And we don't think about it like that. We just think, oh, that was an... <laughs> I can't. That's bitterness. And you know, you can be happy-go-lucky, enjoying Jesus and walking with him, going through life just fine, and all of a sudden you go through this patch in your life where there's no joy. There's just, you know, almost like Christianity has morning breath taste. You know that taste you wake up with? Yuck, isn't it? And you kind of, hmm, church, hmm, Bible, hmm, truth. Yeah, I got to go because I'm expected. I'm part of the leadership of the church. That's bitterness. And that plagues all of us consistently. Bitterness can affect every single one of us. And if we're not careful, we can become bitter so quickly. Look again what it says here in Hebrews chapter 12. And look at your Bible and look again what it says. Hebrews chapter 12, looking diligently, number one, lest any man fail the grace of God. Number two, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. It springs up so quickly. Years ago, I was in this men's conference, and the whole goal of the men's conference was to confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, that you may be healed. It's like a Thursday night, Friday, Saturday prayer time. It was a great conference. God really worked in my heart. Thursday night after the first message, we all gathered into small groups and we prayed over each other what God had spoken to us about. And in my group, there was an evangelist, there was a Christian school administrator, there was another Christian school administrator, and then there was another guy who was in the ministry. All four men began sharing what God had spoken to them that night about, and each one was bitterness. I was kind of shocked. Here's four men in the ministry. First one shared, the evangelist shared that he had been bitter at how that God had let his family go through hardships. His sister had faced some health problems and he was a little bit struggling with it. God, why? We're walking with you. We're trusting you. Why are we facing this? 
We prayed for him. The second one, he was bitter that his wife had gone through some health problems. He had been in the ministry for 50 years. We prayed for him. The third one had been mistreated. He confessed, I think I was mistreated by a previous ministry. And my life for the past six months had been miserable. I haven't been, I, he's a Christian school teacher, Christian school administrator, in the ministry, on the pastoral staff. And he said, my life has been miserable. And the fourth one said the same thing. All these men were in the ministry. And they were struggling with bitterness. And I thought right there, and this is years ago, I thought, if these men are struggling with bitterness, I think it's possible for you and I to as well. Notice what it says. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. It troubles you. The Bible tells us that it kills our prayer life. We, hard, we hide iniquity in our hearts. The Lord won't hear us. And could it be that you haven't had an answer to prayer in years because you go to God in prayer? God, would you? And God's like, you talking to me? Because you've got that sin that you're not willing to confess. You have that brother that you're not willing to forgive. You're bitter. It's troubling you. But even secular medical profession tells us that it troubles us. Doctors have proved many diseases are linked to unforgiveness, specifically issues with the gut and the gallbladder. Now, if you've had gut or gallbladder issues, it doesn't necessarily mean it's unforgiveness, but it's possible. But we know that because the Bible, um, I think we even sang this Proverbs 17, 22. Did we sing that this morning? Merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Good like a medicine. Good like a medicine. Right? Remember that? But a what? Broken spirit. I like how it's in that chorus. Drieth the bones. And I've seen people have hung on to something. You probably have as well. You see people that go through hurt. They hang on to something. And as a result, you look at them 10 years later, and they're hurt. Don't do that. Don't hang on to it. But look what else it says there. And thereby many be defiled. Bitterness just doesn't stop with you. It doesn't stop with you. So often we think it's my hurt. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to nurse this. I'm going to keep this. And it just doesn't stop with you. It can't. I could tell you story after story of moms and dads who hung on to something, hung on to a hurt, and as a result, it poisoned their kids. I can tell you story after story of, of, of church members who hung on to something and it poisoned their church and split the church. I can tell you story after story, as I'm sure some of you could as well, how they hung on to something that just it was a hurt. I'm thinking about a pastor's wife who they went through the loss of a young child. And it, it troubled them, and as a result, their ministry got infected, and they never recovered, and eventually their marriage blew up. So sad. I can tell you story after story of young people who grew up in a home where the mom or the dad was bitter at God because of something that had happened years earlier, and as a result, that young person wanted nothing to do with God. Bitter parents create worldly teenagers and worldly young adults. Bitterness is huge. Bitterness is big. And then look what it says here. Thereby many be defiled. It destroys others. So are you following the pathway here? You fail the grace of God. You, you let bitterness trouble you, spring up and trouble you and defile you and others. But it doesn't stop there. There's a third and final point here, and we're going to be done. But look what it says here, verse 15. Excuse me, verse 16. 
lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. The biblical example here is Esau. And I didn't put these two sins here, but God did. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. And it's possible that you're here tonight and these two sins are maybe one or both of these sins are in your life. I would ask you to consider why they're there. The first sin that is mentioned here is fornication. The Bible tells us that Esau did things that were grief of mind to his parents. Here he's described as a fornicator. When he is about 40, he took unto him two wives. He obviously, clearly, perhaps was involved in other things as well. He's a dirty man. And we can see that he has no spiritual drive. We'll see that in a second. But he has no spiritual drive. He's a dirty man. And it's possible that some of you here have an unhealthy, unbiblical desire for garbage, for filth. Because you've been hanging on to something. And again, I can tell you story after story of God's people who got bitter at a situation. And they, they justified watching what they were watching. They justified their thought patterns. They justified certain things because they said, well, my, the rest of my life is horrible. So certainly I deserve something. And I can tell you story after story of counsel with many young person, young men specifically, who have gotten involved, who have come from rough situations, who came from difficult situations, but they didn't apply the grace of God to the situation. And the only thing saying yes in their life were the images they were catching on their phone. I can tell you story after story of men and women who have gotten involved in filth because of bitterness. You fail the grace of God, bitterness springs up. What happens and what's possible happens fornication. Now let's get practical. How many of you are married tonight? Yeah, okay. Men, let's talk to you first. Here's what's going to happen. This is where we got to get practical. Little things can get said in marriage, can't they? Just little things, just little things. You know, you can, it may not mean much, but you, can be, you take offense to something. Something little, and you're driving away, you're heading to work, something's happening, you're leaving the house, and you're just thinking, I wish I got respect like I deserve. I, I work hard, I do all these things. It seems like I just don't get respect from the family, from the spouse, whatever. I just don't get the respect that I think I deserve. What just happened? You failed the grace of God. You think on it very much longer than just that. If you don't confront it with truth, you're bitter. And let me ask you, and let me be very appropriate. Your antenna are up. Because next pretty face you see, what do you think? Oh, she seems respectful. She seems like she would give me the respect. And that's how marriages are broken apart. A fair start. Because of failing the grace of God, bitterness springs up. Marriages are destroyed. Women is similar. Obviously, I'm not a woman. Never will be one. Popular to, uh, uh, contrary to what this uh, society says, I can't never be one. But women are similar. Little things get said or missed in the, in the case of a woman, right? <laughs> Poor guy, he may not know it. I just wish he would meet my needs. He, he may not know that he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Hopefully he's trying, but you know, sometimes guys, let's be honest, we miss it, don't we? There's been many times that we, yeah, I missed that one. And girls, we just ask for grace. Uh, hopefully it's not malicious, but sometimes we just, we just miss it. We just miss it. Well, what happens? 
Sometimes after season of missing, or perhaps it's intentional, perhaps the guy's being selfish, he's being a jerk. Some things get said, some things happen, and the, and the, the female starts to think to herself, I just, I just wish he would meet my needs. I wish he would emotionally respond to me. I wish he would emotionally meet my needs. I just feel, I, I just don't think that he gets me. I just don't think, I wish I had a man in my life that would meet my needs. What is that? You failed the grace, you're bitter, and then your intent are up. I've seen this happen many times. Well, the next guy you see that seems respectful and courteous and nice and cordial and seems like he cares, maybe he would meet my needs. And emotional attachments start to happen long before marriages are torn apart. That's bitterness. It's fornication. It destroys marriages. It kills people. Uh, I was shocked to no end. When as a teenager, there was a gal in our youth group who had moved from a northern state and who moved down to Florida where I was. And she made no bones about, I hate it here. I'm, I, I, I'm mad at my parents for bringing us here. Well, I, we, we just all knew that she was mad. That's what we knew. But I was shocked a few years later when it came out that she had been involved with a guy. I was shocked. But now knowing the passage, knowing the Bible, it makes sense. She had let that bitterness well up in her soul and she had justified this relationship and fornication. And again, I can tell you story after story of people who have gotten hooked onto filth, onto garbage, because they viewed it as the only positive thing in their life. Everything else is saying no to them, but that is saying yes to me. And they let that bitterness well up within their soul. But there's another thing that happens here too. Look again at your Bible. Look at verse number uh, 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So the, Esau's not only a fornicator, but he's also a profane person. Now, what is profanity? Don't give me any. But what's profanity? We know it as dirty four-letter words, right? And that's definitely part of it. But the Bible definition of profanity, when you see profane or profanity, it's empty. And it plays itself out. Every person who has to use special words to get attention does so because their character lacks really what they they should be saying. The Christian's character should not need special words to highlight or to make our wording more colorful. Our words should mean what they mean. And those who have to use it do so because their words are invalid. Their words are empty. They're profane people. They're empty people. But that's what Esau is. We learned it this morning. We saw it this morning. That What did Esau do when he was presented with this great spiritual question? Hey, give me your birthright. He's like, sure, fine, whatever. I don't care. Esau's like, mm, whatever. Uh, he's an empty person. And it's possible that there's some here tonight that are fornicators. It's also possible that there's some here tonight that are profane. Church, truth. I realize this is a Sunday night in a brutally cold time period. So I know who's here on Sunday. I know this is not the Sunday morning crowd. I know this is not an outreach crowd, but I realize at the same time, though, I look at my life. I look what I can get to sometimes. I can get empty and just like, no hum, whatever. And what does that come from? It often comes, if I point back, it comes from disappointments in ministry, disappointments in family, disappointments in whatever. And whatever I thought was going to happen didn't happen. I get disappointed and I, I dwell on that hurt. I can become defeated and I can become a determinist. Yeah, whatever. I become bitter. I'm there, and one of the fruit sins that can happen in my life is just emptiness. I pray, and I think, is there any use for this? Whatever. God, Bible, 
church. It's a sad place to be, but let's be honest, perhaps several of us here have been there. Or maybe you're even there now. You can point back to a time in your life when there was joy, when there was vibrancy, when there was excitement, and yet now there is not. May God help us. May God help us to see what these sins are doing to us. Perhaps there hasn't been much joy. Perhaps there hasn't been much answer to prayer. Perhaps there hasn't been much vitality. There's been no spiritual drive, or at least not much to think of. Could it be that you're hanging on to something? But Brent, you don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to me. Brent, I'm not willing to let go to what my parents said. My mom, my dad, my teacher, my coworker, my former family member, my, my spouse. My dear, hold, time out, time out, hold on. You want to stay in this prison? You want to stay there? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. That's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 12 is getting so practical. He goes back, go back with me, look at verse 2. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be worried and faint in your minds. Hey, consider Jesus, what he went through. And what did he do? I'm done, Dad. I'm done, Father. I, I, get me out of this. I'm done. No, he went to the cross, despising the shame. And today we serve a risen Savior. And because he did, we can. Because he rose, we can have victory. So don't become a determinist. Don't become a defeater. Well, that's just the way. I, that, my, my family's better. That's, I'm, no, I'm hanging on to this. No, you don't have to. There's hope. There's freedom. There's forgiveness. One author said it like this, when you forgive, you set a prisoner free. Then you realize you were the prisoner. And no, you're not in shackles, you're not in chains. But some of you might as well be. Some of us tonight perhaps are so in bondage, so in terror, so we're mad at dad, we're mad at mom. We're mad at situations. We're mad at the fact that we have to do what we're doing. We're mad at the fact that we haven't made what we thought we would make. We're mad at the fact that we weren't as successful as we thought we would be. And we have all these, we're we're just uptight. And we are bitter at God for what he has allowed, what he hasn't allowed, what he's done. And we've got to confess it as such. And no, we don't like the term bitterness because that's really harsh. That's other people. That's, that's my neighbor who's nasty. But that, that oftentimes describes us. We fail the grace of God. Bitterness springs up. It troubles us, defiles others. Fornication, profanity are the result. But it doesn't have to be that way. What is forgiveness? It's not a feeling. It's not forgetting. Sometimes, well, I'll just wait till I feel like forgiving. It may never come around. Well, I'll just forget about it. You, perhaps with little kids, you've heard the adage, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. And sometimes for little squabbles, sibling rivalries, you've got to forgive and forget. But sometimes you can't forget. Because some of you even tonight are living with the hurt, the pain, the loss. You're reminded daily of what you don't have or what you do have. You're reminded that you can't get away from it. You can't forget about it. Forgiveness is not psychoanalyzing. Forgiveness is not pretending nothing happened. Forgiveness is the decision of the will to say, God, I apply your grace to this situation. God, I I choose your grace, not my rights, 
not my desires. I choose your grace over my disappointment. And it's a decision, literally, as one author described it, to shred the you owe me list. The you owe me list. Yeah, all of us have them. We keep them. Not in, perhaps in a book, in a desk drawer, but in our hearts. We can all remember people who have hurt us. People have said things. You know what grace says? Shred it. We keep track of records, and we're good at this. If we don't keep track of even numbers good, we're still good at keeping track of how people treat us. All of us are. That's human nature. Somebody embarrasses us, and we write it down. I'll remember that next time you need something. Somebody mistreats us, we write, that, we write it down in our book. Our kids embarrass us in public. Well, I'll remember that next time you want something special or want to go out for ice cream. We keep track. You know what Grace says? Shred it up. Friend, I don't know what issues you have faced, are facing, or will face. But we have to come to the realization, we have to come to the conclusion Grace is there. Don't fail grace. Paul talks about frustrating grace in Galatians, but here the author of Hebrews talks about failing grace. And perhaps tonight God's spoken to you about failing grace, and it's not just failing grace. He said, Brent's gone beyond that. It's bitterness. I got that poison in my soul, and I see that I'm a prisoner to this. I, I can't help it. I like nursing this wound. I, I keep rehearsing this, and I see it. And perhaps you've seen it tonight where God has showed you there's fornication or profanity or both. And God's saying, hey, it's there because of it. Again, this is not one of these messages that you're like, oh, that was a great message, check, once and done. No, this is one of those things you will need every single day of your life. And you and I need to do business with this truth on a regular basis. So make sure you're being diligent, watching out. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes. I'm going to say, Brent, tonight the Lord used his word in my heart and my life to challenge, to convict. I've got to be honest. I have failed the grace of God in a certain matter, and the Holy Spirit pointed it out. There's an area in my life, maybe a person, an individual, a circumstance, a situation. Perhaps it happened decades ago, but I see it, and God the Holy Spirit pointed it out. He showed me I have failed the grace of God in a certain matter. Would you lift your hand to that? Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Many hands. Let's take it a step further and let's be honest. Is there anybody who would say, Brent, there's a matter in my heart and my life. It's not just failing grace. I've gone beyond that. I see the bitterness is there. The poison is there. And I see it and that's a harsh word, but God spoke to me. God challenged me. God convicted me. I see the bitterness in my life. Would you lift your hand to that? Amen, amen, amen. Many, many hands. Let's take it a step further. This is where it gets a little bit awkward, perhaps. No one's looking, but God already knows. I want to say, Brent, I see it in my heart and life. Either I have an unhealthy desire for filth, fornication, or I am empty. I'm profane. I'm either dirty or empty or both, perhaps. And I see the reason why the Holy Spirit pointed out the reason why I've been hanging on to hurt. I've been nursing my wounds, and I'm bitter, and I see the fruit sins tonight. God spoke. God convicted. God challenged me. I, I got dirtiness or emptiness in my heart, in my life. Would you lift your hand in honesty to God to that? Amen. 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 Again, many hands. Hey, good news, friends. If you're honest, there's hope. I'm going to ask us to take some time to pray. 
And if a pianist perhaps could come and play, that'd be great. But if not, that'd be fine too. But I'm just going to ask us to take a few minutes and pray. If God has spoken to your heart and life, I would challenge you to kneel, maybe at your seat or come forward and kneel at this front pew. However it is that God has spoken. If God has spoken to you tonight, confess and forsake and have mercy. Don't fail the grace of God. I'm going to pray and then the, we're going to stand to our feet and the pianist is going to play. And if God has spoken, you respond how God has spoken to you. Father, thank you for this truth. Help us not to fail grace. Help us to show your incredible love and apply the grace of God to every situation. Lord, I need your help there. Lord, we love you. We need you. I pray you convict and challenge and encourage. Help us to get honest. Help us make things right. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let's stand to our feet.